if you remember, Paul had made his way through Asia Minor. God had called him to visit the churches in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derb, or Derby. Mike and I are still not sure how to pronounce that one. But, uh, and th- those were all churches that were in Galatia. And then Paul wrote this letter. Um, Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to the, the churches that are in Galatia. And Paul begins the letter in verse 3, and I'm just going to recap those, last, uh, those first 10 verses. Paul begins the letter in verse 3 when he says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does Paul start with the word grace? Grace is what saved Paul. If you remember, uh, Paul had a burning desire to persecute uh, the churches that God had established. That was his goal in life. He was tearing down churches um, and persecuting those uh, people that went to church and the churches. Um, it was his mission in life to destroy churches and the believers. But God's grace saved Paul and rescued him from his life. Uh, so why does grace exist? Grace exists because of the present evil age that we live in. Uh, and I'm so thankful for grace. Grace saved Paul. And back then, I would say compared to now, uh, what we have going on now is a billion times <laughs> worse than what was going on back there uh, uh, in Paul's time, but for them it was still bad. Um, Lots of worldly things uh, were available to people and and different uh, uh, cities um, fell into those traps, and that was important to them, that was their priority. Um, we have that same evil in our world today. We have, it's, it's everywhere you look. Um, the enemy has taken good things and made them bad. And he's uh, sucked people in and, and, and told them that this is important and this is important and this is important and, and all these things. And um, it's just, it's out there and it's available. And, and so grace exists because of that. Uh, God's grace exists to deliver us from our sins and all the evil that exists in this world. That's why Paul started his letter with grace to you and peace from God the Father. Um, Last week, Mike said, if you remember, he said, we can't experience the peace of God until we receive the grace of God. I'll say that again. We can't experience the peace of God until we receive the grace of God. Um, and I'd, I'd, when he said that, I just loved that. I kept repeating that all weekend, all week long because there was a couple times where I needed peace. <laughs> and I just kept repeating that, repeating that, repeating that. And uh, it's, just, it's a, just a fantastic uh, statement. Um, and and it, just, it just gives me peace, and, and, and it's really shortened to the point and very clear. Uh, we'll go on here. In verse 6 and 7, Paul marvels at the church for turning away from the grace of God to another gospel a gospel that has been perverted or twisted. And, and last week, Mike gave us kind of a definition of the word perverted. In, the, in God's word, it says that, that uh, the gospel was perverted. And perverted means twisted. You take something good, mess it up, now it's bad, okay? You, 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 you twist it. You put a little spin on it. You add words. You take out words, you, things like that. Um, and this gospel has been perverted by individuals who, on the outside, look like look like a follower of Christ, but on the inside, you can obviously tell they are not a Christ follower. There are people and churches 
that only follow and teach the parts of God's Word that fit into their lifestyle. Uh, we've all seen churches like this. Some of us have maybe even experienced these kinds of churches and, and, and uh, experienced uh, people that are like this. Um, so they, they take the parts of God's Word and they only teach what fits in their lifestyle. Then they take the parts of God's Word that don't fit into their lifestyle and they pervert it. They twist it. They make it fit to where, well, I know it says this, but really what it means is this. And we, we humans, we have the freedom of choice to go ahead, and, you know, and they put their little spin on it, they put their twist on it. And, uh, and they do that so that they can justify their actions, what they're wanting to do, what their earthly, fleshly bodies want to do. They put the twist on it so that it sounds good, and, and, and it, then you can say, oh, yeah, God's Word says this, you know, and, and, and this is what it means. And so they, they're, they're doing that just so they can justify their actions. Uh, this past week in our Father's and Son's Bible study, uh, we talked about what fellowship is and how important it is uh, for believers. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, Mike had a uh, great definition uh, that he shared with us that somebody had, had told him about uh, what fellowship was. And uh, Ronnie, help me out if I get this wrong. <laughs> help me say it right. Uh, but this is, what, this is what somebody had told Mike. He said, fellowship is two individuals in a boat rowing in the same direction with the same purpose. Got it. Okay, good deal. Uh, and if you think about that, um, Two people in a boat rowing can, can be a variety of things. Uh, you could be rowing in opposite directions, pointed different ways, rowing against each other hard. Uh, you can both be uh, pointed in the same direction, both rowing on the right-hand side. And if you've ever paddled a canoe, you know what happens when you paddle on the right-hand side? You go left, and you keep going left, and you just do circle after circle after circle. Um, you can both be in the boat, row in the same direction, but you have two different points that you're trying to get to. So you're rowing against each other, okay? One of them's over here paddling left, one's paddling right, and you're trying to, then you're both paddling, you're trying to get to two different points. But then if you get it all together, and you're on the same page with the other person in the canoe with you, if you're both paddling the same direction, and you have the same goal in mind, um, that's what fellowship is. And I bring that up because... Fellowship is important, and it's important for, um, to encourage and strengthen relationships with Christ and with other believers. And this, it, if, you, if you take that time to fellowship, it will help you stay focused on living your life for Christ, and, and then as you do that, you'll be able to discern if people uh, in this world, I shouldn't say if, when people... In this world, try and twist God's word, and they try and pervert it, and they try and make it fit. If you are fellowshipping with others, and they're, you know, you're having communications, and, and you're talking about scripture, and you're, um, you're uh, praying with each other, you're having a good time playing games at Mike and Kelly's, and winning with... <laughs> I didn't bring that up. No, I did. I did bring it up. <laughs> But if you're taking that time uh, and, and, <laughs> and, and spending together and fellowshipping like that, it'll keep you sharp 
and it will help you to be able to discern from people who twist God's word so that it will fit their lifestyle. And then they want their lifestyle to be your lifestyle. So that's a good, uh, a good purpose for um, uh, fellowship. Okay, going on here to verse 8 and 9. Anyone who preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. Paul says this in verse 8, and because it's so important, he repeats the exact same thing in verse 9. He says the exact same thing. Paul is trying to emphasize that it doesn't matter who is speaking or teaching. If anyone, and it even goes on to say, even if an angel, if an angel preaches any other gospel than the one found in the Bible, they are to be accursed. Paul wanted to make this very clear to them that there will never be another gospel. There's only one gospel, and it will not be twisted. It will not be perverted. This is what it is, and it doesn't matter who it is. You may think somebody is extremely important, and because they're important, what they say, you're just going to listen, and, and what they say is true. Paul is just emphasizing that it doesn't matter who says that. If it is not the gospel, they're to be accursed. Okay, finishing up in verse 10 from last week, Paul asks, do I seek to please men? If I do, then I would not be the bondservant that I am for Christ. Paul lived his life for an audience of one. He did not live his life to please men. He lived his life for Christ. Paul's audience was Christ. So think to yourself, how often do we live our lives for others? And how often do we live our lives for Christ? The world will tell you the most important thing is what other people think about you. And if you listen to that and then step back and think, you'll realize, you know what? That's just the enemy talking to me. That's just the enemy trying to get me off my focus. And he will do anything he can do to get you distracted so that you increase the number of people that are in your audience. We should have an audience of one. Our audience should be Christ. That should be our audience. That should be all we're concerned about living our life for. Our life here on earth is simple if we'll let it be. And you're thinking, no, no, it's not. <laughs> I got this going, I got this, I got this, I got this. And um, while that is a part of our life here on earth, our life with Christ is simple if we'll let it be. Um, there are many different people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. And these people can cause us to value their opinion over God's opinion. And we're called to live our lives for an audience of one. That's Christ. He is the only opinion that matters. He is the only one we need to be concerned about pleasing. And I think that's one of the, the major things that Paul is trying to convey. He's trying to convey if anybody's preaching anything other than the gospel, don't listen to them. They're wrong. They're not, they're not right. Their audience is not an audience of one. Their audience is a big audience. And the other thing is Paul is trying to say here is keep your focus on Christ. That's who you should please. That's who you want to live your life for. Don't worry about what anybody else says or does or anything like that. Ignore them and live your life for Christ. Okay, let's go on to verse 11 now. Here's our, for the, uh, 
the second half of chapter 1 here. Verse 11 says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Paul is emphasizing again that what he is teaching and preaching is not a twisted version of the gospel. It is God's word unchanged. Verse 12 says, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to further explain here that no one on earth taught him the gospel. Nobody. No man did. No, nobody on earth taught him the gospel. He didn't hear from someone, and he didn't read something that someone else had written. It was revealed to him directly through Jesus Christ. And this is important, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But it's important to, to know that Jesus Christ revealed this to him and that he, didn't, he wasn't taught by, uh, let's say, one of the apostles. Okay? Verse 13 says, For you have heard my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Verse 14 says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So if you remember, we talked about this just uh, last week, Paul had been persecuting the church and persecuting the people that, that are Christ followers. That was his mission in life. He was going after them, okay? Now, he's, uh, God has changed his heart, and now he's preaching and teaching to uh, these churches and to the people uh, in Galatia. And if you just think about this... Um, Paul says, okay, he pauses for just a second and he says, all right, I know that some of you remember what I used to be like, okay? I know that I used to uh, persecute you, I used to persecute the church, I used to throw people in jail. I know I used to do that, um, but I don't do that anymore, and I want you to listen to the gospel. Here's the gospel, there's only one gospel, and you should have one audience, um, and so just think about that. And while you think about that, I'm just going to give you just a little bit of, uh, of a glimpse of what Paul used to do, um, his previous, uh, I guess, history with the church and his previous um, actions and his previous character. So we're going to jump over to Acts 9, and in verse 1 and 2, like I said, it gives us just a little glimpse of what Paul was like. It says, now back then, he was called Saul. Paul was called Saul. So it says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, Damascus, so that if he found any who were in the way, and way is capitalized, and that means believers of Christ or Christ followers, if, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Right in the beginning there, it says, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. Now, that's a pretty uh, anti-church, okay? Uh, that is the, uh, that's from one end of the scale to the other. Um, if you think about it, it's not like, well, we'll just think of it this way. It's not like you just say, hey, this is what, you know, this is what you believe, this is what I believe, it's different, and you know what, I don't agree with you, and so you go do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. It's not like that. 
It's like, hey, you believe this, and it's wrong, and so I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's that, I mean, that is point blank what, what Paul's me- message was. It, it was his purpose in life. Um, uh, Acts 8.3, and this is a little bit even more about what Paul was, was like back then. Acts 8.3 says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, women committing them to prison. Now, in our life right now, people usually think, hey, what you do in your own home is your own home. It's your deal. Whatever you do in your home, that's up to you. None of my business. That's totally up to you. Not, not Saul. Not him. He was knocking on doors, knocking down doors, not go, forcing his way in there, finding who Christ's followers was, dragging them, physically dragging them out of the house, and throwing them in jail. That's what Saul's mission in life was, okay? Not to just leave people alone, and if he saw something happen, do, taking, taking care of it. He was actively searching out, seeking Christ followers, and throwing them in jail. That's what Saul was doing. Um, and to tell you how many years he did this, I don't exactly know, but I know that finally God had enough. Um, and uh, if you look in uh, verses 4 and 9 of, of chapter 9, I'm sorry, verses 4 and 9 of chapter 9 in the book of Acts, God finally has enough and he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, Kick against the goads is not a phrase that we uh, normally use. I can't remember the last time I used it. Actually, I've never used it. Um, And uh, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. I've got a great commentary I read on that, but let me finish the rest of this verse. It says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. And obviously, we know the rest of the story. Saul um, changed his name to Paul, followed God's instructions, and did what he told. He was so anti-church and Christ. And then, in the blink of an eye, he is changed and says, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's pretty awesome. Um, but let me, let me get to this uh, kicking against the goads. It, it's, it's, it's an important part of this verse. And so uh, I read this commentary, and if you know who Chuck Swindoll is, Charles Swindoll, if you know Chuck Swindoll, uh, he had a great uh, commentary on this kicking against the goads, and I, I, I want to read this uh, directly to you. It says, apparently, to kick against the goads was a common expression found in both Greek and Latin literature, which rose from the practice of farmers goading their oxen in the fields. Though unfamiliar to us, everyone in that day understood its meaning. Goads were typically made of a slender piece of timber, blunt on one end and pointed on the other end. Farmers used the pointed end to urge a stubborn ox into motion. Occasionally, the beast would kick at the goad. The more the ox kicked, the more likely the goad was stuck back into uh, the flesh of the leg, causing more pain. Saul's conversion could appear to us as having been a sudden encounter with Christ, um, but based on the Lord's expression regarding his kicking back, uh, 
I believe he had been working on him for years, prodding and goading him. I believe the words and works of Jesus haunted the zealous Pharisee. Quite likely, Saul had heard Jesus teach and preach in public places, similar in age. They would have been contemporaries in a city Saul knew well and Jesus frequently visited. Imagine Saul, and the name Paul means small, suggesting he may have been shorter in uh, shorter than average. Imagine Saul standing on tiptoe, straining to watch Jesus, all the while grudgingly wondering how this false prophet, prophet could be gaining popularity. Nonsense. He has to be of Satan. Pharisees love to think that. Nonetheless, Jesus' ministry stuck in Saul's mind. The more it goaded him, the more he resisted God's proddings. Once you've seriously encountered Jesus, as Saul did, there's no escaping him. His words and works follow you deep within your conscience. Um, that's why I encourage people who are intensifying their efforts to resist the gospel's claim to study the life of Christ, to examine carefully his captivating words. Most people who sincerely pursue them can't leave Christ without at least reevaluating their lives. And that's, that's from uh, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll. So... Um, Gives you a little bit understanding, better understanding of when that verse says, uh, kicking at the goats. Okay, that was quite, quite a bit of a rabbit trail, but Paul is trying to get across, um, what Paul is trying to get across is that man did not change his path. A person didn't come up and say, hey, Saul, you're, what you're doing is wrong. Uh, and then that man didn't teach Saul uh, the gospel. God knocked him to the ground said, stop persecuting me, go into the city, and wait, and I'll tell you what I want you to do. Paul didn't confer with anybody. He didn't say, hey, did you see that? Hey, um, um, that bright light, those words, did you hear that? He didn't talk with anybody. After that interaction, he didn't go running to Peter or any of the apostles and say, hey, God just did this. Um, do you think that's real? And if so, uh, teach me what I need to know. He didn't do any of that. Um, he listened to God and obeyed. And God revealed to him the gospel and what he wanted him to teach and how he wanted him to teach it and where he wanted him to teach it. So if we can continue on in verse 15, it says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. In Acts 9, 10 through 18, this gives us a little bit more uh, detail about how God uh, revealed his son to Saul. And it says, Now there was a certain disciple... At Damascus named Ananias and to him the Lord said in a vision Ananias and he said here I am Lord so the Lord said to him arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus for behold he is praying and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight 
Then Ananias, and then Ananias answered, and this is great. This is a, a great line um, of what Ananias says, and it's kind of um, questioning God and getting right to the edge of the uh, acceptable uh, way to communicate with God. But he's kind of questioning God here, and he says, um, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Basically what he's saying is, um, wait, what? You want me to, you want me to do what? With who? We're talking about Saul here, right? Saul? Uh, don't you remember this guy? Uh, here, um, wait, wait, God, let me, let me remind you here. If, it, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't remember, let me refresh your memory. Here's what Saul has been doing for his entire life. This guy has been persecuting you and all of your believers. Uh, and, and, and don't forget, he has authority to throw people in jail. Um, I really don't want to go to jail. <laughs> um, I think probably you have the wrong guy. Uh, you, know, you want to rethink that? Uh, is there somebody anybody else you'd like for me to go and talk to and speak to anybody pick anybody but just please not Saul uh you got to be kidding me so just think about Ananias uh God has told him to do this and um so in the middle of this uh Ananias is kind of saying oh man really I don't think so God I think I think maybe you're wrong uh but then in verse 15 uh it says but the Lord said to Ananias and this is this is great. He doesn't give an explanation. He just says, the first word says, go. <laughs> he didn't say, I understand how you're feeling. I know what he's done. He doesn't do that. He just says, go. Do it. Go. He said, for he, and he's talking about Saul, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I, this is Christ talking still, for I will show him how many things he must suffer in my name's sake. Uh, so it says, and Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was uh, baptized. And if you don't know about the story, uh, when Paul was on the road, God appeared to him in a bright light, shocked him, caught him by surprise, knocked him off his horse, fell down, but he was immediately blinded. He couldn't see. God immediately took his sight away from him. And I think he did that so that Paul would, or Saul at that time, would really understand what was going on here, and that he would lose his vision and have to totally trust God for what's going on. So then God puts Ananias in, in Saul's life, has him come, puts his hands on him, and removes the scales, and immediately he can see. And that's just another re, re, uh, affirmation to Saul that, hey, God is talking to me, and you know what? I'm going to listen. He's telling me to do this. I'm going to do that. I don't care what I've done in my past. God told me to do this. I'm doing it. Um. Okay, so at that time, Paul has just been called to be an apostle. Um, God rocked his world in the middle of the road, brought him to his knees, and in one sentence, 
completely altered his way of life and immediately began using Saul or Paul for his kingdom. Immediately. If God can do that for Paul, what can he do in our lives? What do we have going on in our life that might be in opposition to what God is calling us to do? What part of our life are we living for the wrong audience? Saul, when he was persecuting Christ, usually traveled with a group. He had an entourage, I guess. Um, but in verse 17, uh, we read that earlier, it says he went to Arabia. And he probably went there uh, to be, and, and he went there uh, alone. And he probably went there to, uh, to be alone so that he could have a little bit of time of meditation and prayer. Because uh, he had been doing this over here, the persecution, persecution of the churches. God says, nope, stop. I want you to do this. Exactly opposite of what you're doing, that's what I want you to do. So I would bet he took just a little bit of time to <laughs> kind of collect himself, pray, and, and get lined out so that he could follow with a willing heart exactly what God wanted him to do. Uh, but then it says, uh, it goes on to say that he returned to Damascus, um, and we know he went back to Damascus for the express purpose of witnessing for Christ, and that is the, one of the very cities that he was persecuting the saints. So he's persecuting the churches. God calls him to change. He goes right back to where he was persecuting the churches, and he's starting to witness to the saints, to the people of that area. Uh, as we finish up here, pay close attention to the words Paul speaks. Paul doesn't pretend to be something he's not, and he doesn't leave out any details that might cause people to not listen to what he has to say. He's not concerned about his physical audience. He is only concerned about his spiritual audience. In verse 18, it says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. And this is uh, Paul talking. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Paul immediately got to work uh, on what God called him to do. Uh, and that was to spread the gospel. God revealed his spirit to him, and Paul did not waste any time. He didn't hide away and let things cool down uh, in hopes that people would forget about what he had been doing, which would be probably a natural thing that anybody would do. If you are in such opposition to what's going on, and God has called you to change, or something happens in your life that causes you to change, usually people would kind of take a little break, a siesta, and let people hopefully forget about how passionate you are about this so that you could come back around and be passionate <laughs> the other way. Um, but Paul didn't do that. He did not waste any time. <clears throat> Paul got right to work doing God's work. Like I said, which is pretty crazy if you think about it. Because one day, he's throwing people in jail for being a Christ follower. And the next day... He's teaching people how to be a Christ follower. <laughs> and um, he didn't care about the opinion of his physical audience. And, and you can imagine, there's got to be people thinking, hey, just yesterday he threw somebody in jail. Really? Now he's going to be, he's, gonna, he's, he's teaching people about Christ and he was just throwing people in jail? Really? Eh, I don't think so. Um, but that would, be, that would be something 
I would think about. I would try and process somebody's human brain and say, they're not going to believe me. There's no way they're going to believe me. Just yesterday I was doing this, and now I'm saying this. There's no way they're going to believe me. And Paul didn't do that. He trusted God. God's in control. God called him to do this. He, he can prepare those people's hearts and minds and say, hey, somebody's about to come to you and, and speak to you. You need to be ready to listen. And um, Paul just followed the instructions and did exactly what God told him to do. Verse 19 says, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Paul makes this statement just to reiterate that he is not imitating uh, an apostle. He's not trying to be like Peter. He's not trying to be like anybody else. Um, and Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' apostles, and Paul is trying to make it crystal clear that his message and his instructions have come straight from God and nobody else. Verse 21 says, Afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So that's Paul saying, Hey, they didn't know who I was. They didn't recognize my face, but they heard about me. They knew what I did, and I would bet there's people in that church going, eh. <laughs> this is Saul coming to us. Now he's Paul. Um, and can you imagine being one of the people in that church when Paul shows up? They've heard about his path of destruction, and, and now he's going to be teaching. And I would bet there was more than a few people uh, who were thinking there's a trick here somewhere. Uh, this is a setup. He's pretending to be a Christ follower, and he's going to throw us in jail. Be ready. All right, here it comes. Um, that probably would have been mine, my set. I would have been thinking that exact same thing. Why is, what, what's he doing? What's his purpose? Why is he here? Because he's just persecuting people. He's coming here. He's going to trick us. There's a bunch of people outside. They're getting ready to arrest all of us. Um, but that would be my mindset, and uh, Paul didn't care. And in spite of Paul's past, in spite of the reputation he had for being one that destroyed churches, God used him. He followed God's instructions, did exactly what he told, was told, didn't question, didn't wonder, is this really the right way to do it? He just followed God's word, God's instructions, and did exactly as he was told. He was confident, very confident, confident in his calling and his mission to serve an audience of one. Are we confident in our calling? I hope I am. I know sometimes I'm not. And who is our audience? Our audience should be an audience of one. If it's not Christ, if Christ is not your audience, I challenge you, reevaluate your audience. Take some time and reevaluate that. I know that I need to do that constantly. Um, you get going on with this world, you get going things, things are wrapped up, you got this, that, and other going, and you can easily expand your audience. Don't expand your audience. Keep it one, one person. And it should only consist of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for 
your word. We thank you for what you did in Saul's life and called him to become a believer and, and to start teaching and preaching for you, Lord. We thank you for Paul and we thank you for his life. And, and Lord, we just thank you that if, if you can use Saul, if you can use Saul, we know that you can use us. Lord, help us to focus our attention on you, focus our efforts and our thinking um, on you and not be concerned about what others think, not be concerned about what others say, but let you be our audience and that be our, our main focus in our life. Lord, again, we just thank you for your word. We just ask that you'll penetrate this into our hearts and minds and use it, Lord, for your glory and honor. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 